Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW show where we hit on all of the latest and greatest news of the week. As always, Bayern Munich delivers when it comes to putting out some news. Shocking news, really. Uh, some surprising developments on the personnel front, and we will talk all about them on this show. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. I am recording this show on a Thursday, so there is still plenty that could happen between now and when this podcast drops later today. But we'll hit on everything that we know about up until this point. So let's get right to it. Uh, it's an exciting time to be following Bayern Munich. And if you were like me on the East Coast in the U.S., you woke up to some pretty crazy news because the first thing that we learned this week was that Bayern Munich is about to ink, or maybe even has inked by the time this podcast drops, daily blend to a contract for the rest of this season. And on the surface, this is not some game-changing move, right? It's not something that's going to sway Bayern Munich to be a heavy favorite against Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League. It's That's not going to happen based on this move. But what this move for blend does do is give Julian Nagelsmann some depth to play with. Hopefully, something like this, a move like this, will give Nagelsmann the opportunity to rest players, to have a heavier rotation than maybe he planned on having. Now, when we look at Blind, this is a player who uh, mutually agreed to end his contract or terminate his contract with Ajax over the winter pause and... It really wasn't that surprising of a move. He's 32 now. He'll be 33 in March. Uh, At this stage of his career, I think that Blind was looking for a situation exactly like Bayern Munich can offer him, where he might not be an integral player. He might not be a starting 11 player, but where he's going to have a role, where he's go a place where he's going to have an opportunity to win some trophies. So, what will he bring to the table at Bayern Munich? Why did they sign him? Let's get into it. Um, from the club standpoint, Blind definitely offers a couple of things. He offers depth. His ability to play center back, left back, and also as a defensive midfielder allows Julian Nagelsmann to have some flexibility, not just with his personnel, but with his formations. Uh, this will allow Nagelsmann to flirt with a back three if he wants it will also allow him to maybe go to a 4-3-3 if he wants and use Blind as a defensive midfielder. There are a lot of possibilities for this. Uh, I don't expect to see too much of Blind playing in the defensive midfield, but I do think that he will definitely get some looks, especially late in the game as a substitute, uh, as far as getting uh, players like Alfonso Davies or even Matthijs De Ligt or Diogo Meccano some rest. Uh, Blind is, as we previously stated, he's in his early 30s. He's a player who has done a lot, seen a lot. He was with Groningen. He was with Manchester United, of course. And his most recent spell with Ajax, he's played in big games. He understands the big stage. He also played a key role for the Netherlands in the World Cup. So this is a player who has been there and done that. He's seen just about everything you want a player to see in the game at this stage of his career. There isn't going to be a situation that overwhelms him. There's not going to be a moment that's too big for him. So he checks every single box you want for a veteran depth player. And I think that's how you have to really look at this 
and in really honestly, you don't want to look at it in any other way. He's not coming in to be a starter. He's not coming in to be an impact player. He is strictly a six-month rental, at least at this stage, to be a depth option on the roster. And I think it's a perfect move because Bayern Munich's in this weird spot. They have a lot of talent on the back line, a lot of young talent. But there are some question marks. Of course, we know that Luca Hernandez is injured and he will be unavailable. But we also have this somewhat volatile situation with Benjamin Pavar, who has been really, really good as a right back this season and has actually been very good when he's played center back as well. But his desire is to play center back. Unfortunately for him, he, as of right now, is the best right back on Bayern Munich's roster. He's being pushed at the moment by Nusar Mizrahi for that right back position. But I think as of now, Pavar is probably the leader, unless his off-the-field antics, which we had heard so much about with France, <laughs> um, unless those things have started to uh, drip over into the club scene, I think Pavar will be good to start as the right back once Bayern Munich gets back and going with the Brook Runda. The problem for Bayern in this situation is that you really do only have those three center back options right now. You have Delict, Upamakano, and Pavar. And with Pavar already being committed to being the starting right back, it leaves you a little thin there. What Blind is going to be able to do is become that fourth option. As of now, Josip Stanisic was the fourth center back option. And not that he would perform poorly there, but he certainly does not have the experience and the big game experience that Blind has. So if he's called upon, I think Bayern fans would feel a little more comfortable with Blind in that situation rather than Josip Stanisic. Uh, Blind also will be able to provide some depth at left back where we have seen Alfonso Davies battle some injuries here and there. He plays a very high-intensity style, a very aggressive style, and a very fast style. So with Blind, I think it does give you the assurance that if something happens with Davies, you at least have Stanisic and Blind able to, to jump out there and play that position. Um, Mizrahi also, uh, on a whim, could go out and play the left-back spot as well. So it does give Nagelsmann some options at this time of year. Uh, as far as the future goes and what this means for Bayern Munich, I don't know that there's going to be much of a future past this season. I think if Blind comes in and he's a good citizen and he, he melds well in the locker room, uh, I think he will have the opportunity to earn himself another contract, uh, at least for another year, maybe two with Bayern Munich, just by being that veteran depth piece, that veteran option off the bench, someone who could hopefully develop into being a, a vocal team leader here, someone that's not necessarily going to be part of the leadership group, but can help when he's on the field by being vocal, who can also help with some of the younger players in the locker room and be that mentor figure that I think with so many players at Bayern Munich being younger or in the middle of their career, you just don't have a lot of players who are looking to, to be that veteran mentor type. So I think that this this checks every box you would want out of this type of move. It's not going to make Bayern Munich significantly better, but it does make them a more sure presence as a squad. They will definitely have better depth, and it will give Nagelsmann some, some room to play with things. He's going to be able to change things around when needed. He's going to be able to rest players. And I think that is the key thing. Blind will definitely provide that depth in the event you see injuries and the extra rest that he will help these players provide will or help these players get 
by by being able to sub in, I think will reduce some of that wear and tear that we typically see uh, with some of Byron's players. So good move. Uh, I think it will help the team. I don't expect it to really change much of anything in terms of whatever the results would be for this season. But I do think he makes a lot of sense for Bayern Munich. And I, and I think that this was a very prudent and shrewd move by Brazo. Uh, he's been a quality sporting director. Like I've said a million times, don't always agree with the players he chooses to pursue or the ones that he passes over, but he does make some good moves. And these seem to be the types of moves that he does really well with. Uh, you know, when you could point to even Eric Maxim Chupo Moting being picked up to be the backup to Robert Lewandowski. How has that worked out? It's been great. So uh, Brazo has a look and a feel for some of these types of moves, and he has uh, been very successful in getting these depth pieces. So Daily Blind, I think, will be a quality addition to Bayern Munich, and I think that uh, things are really shaping up well for this team to to start to settle into what they're going to be for the next six months. And uh, I'm excited about the move, quite honestly. Uh, the second thing we learned this week is that Bayern Munich's pursuit of Jan Sommer is getting closer and closer to being a reality. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride here. It's been up and down on summer in terms of will Byron get him? Will Gladback be able to persuade him to stay? Will Manchester United swoop in? Will the, will there be some other suitor that pops in? But right now, the latest reports indicate, and of course, I'm saying the latest just based on the latest reports I've read at the time we're recording this. Uh, summer wants to be with Bayern Munich. The club has allegedly agreed to terms with Summer. And now it's really up to Gladbach and Bayern to be able to work something out. And one of the big things for Gladbach has been they want to ensure that they are not leaving their team hanging out there to dry by letting their best goalkeeper go. They want to ensure that they have someone who can backfill that position. And it look lo- it looks like right now that Gladbach is speaking with Jonas Omlin, who should be a very good uh, and capable type player to come in and help fill the void that will be left by summer. Um, what can you say about Jan summer? I mean, he's again, a very good fit for what Byron needs at this point. I think the only thing that is really out there at this stage is whether or not he will be a player that like daily blend would be here for six months or if he's going to sign a longer term deal. And one of the things that we did see among the many reports this week is that Summer is looking at a deal through 2025, which of course means that he would be here at the same time as Manuel Neuer. And that's where I think it becomes a gray area for everyone. Of course, the club and fans alike, they don't, nobody knows what's going to go on with Neuer. No one knows if he's going to come back at the same level, the same type of player when he comes back from this injury. Uh, it's really the unknown at this point. And for Summer, uh, when you have a player, again, he is what I would say on the downside of the prime of his career. Um, still a very good player, uh, the exact perfect match for this exact situation. But he is not the goalkeeper of the future you might consider someone like Alexander Nubel to be. So it it really creates this weird dynamic when Neuer does return. If if Bayern does get Summer and he signs a deal through 2025, um, what that dynamic would look like with those two on the same roster, I don't know. Because in my mind, I think it's too early for someone like Summer to say, 
I'm going to be a backup to Manuel Neuer. I'm going to willfully accept that role. I also think that Manuel Neuer is not very comfortable having that talented of a keeper sitting behind him. And that's no offense to Sven Ulrich, who I think is very good. And I think still, I still to this day think he could do a capable job in filling in for Neuer. But uh, as we saw with Neuer and Nubel in the season they spent together, there was some kind of friction there. And whether it was between the two players or the coaches and the player or whatever, it could have been unsaid tension. Either way, something was not right just by the way Nubel's reacted to having the opportunity to come back to Bayern Munich. He wants no part of it. So I don't know how that all works out. And I know a lot of people are, are you know, really not concerned about tomorrow. They're mostly just focused on today. I do, in the back of my mind, worry about what happens when those two are together because I don't know if it will be a uh, – I don't want to say unfriendly situation because I don't know the relationship that Neuer or Summer have together, but I do think that it will create some discomfort for Neuer and, and and might be annoying to Summer, especially if Neuer is just granted back that starting role. Uh, I don't know how Summer would feel about that or if he, uh, you know, was maybe in his own mind ready to take a backseat to a player like Neuer. So a lot of interesting developments could happen there. But I think that, you know, if you're looking strictly at how to put the best team out on the pitch for the next six months, much like getting Daly Blind to be a depth piece, getting Jan Summer to be your starting goalkeeper for the next six months, I, I think it's the best possible scenario for Bayern Munich. I almost think it's something that they need to do uh, if they want to have any chance at PSG. And as much as I like Sven Ulrich uh, and think he could – do well in helping Bayern win the Bundesliga again and, and perhaps winning a Pokal. I'm not sure that he would be able to withstand all of the pressure that he's going to see against a team like PSG. And I don't know if he's capable of stealing a match like Summer can. Of course, we know Summer can do that because he's done it <laughs> against Bayern Munich so many times. Uh, that's the one factor with Ulrich. I don't know that he has. I just don't know if he's that type of goalkeeper who can win you the game on his own on a day when you just don't have the defensive support that's needed. So in my mind, you go out, you get summer. And as much as I would like this to just be a six month arrangement, I do think that it's going to end up being something that will carry through 2025. And I don't know what that means for next season, but it will certainly be a dynamic that is going to capture the attention of fans and the media alike uh, when Neuer is back and healthy, because as we all know, he's, uh, you know, Neuer expects to be out there every single game and does not like taking rest. So uh, that will be uh, very interesting to watch play out, to say the least. The third thing that we learned this week is something that I've kind of known for a while, and I think a lot of you have known, is that the Harry Kane pipe dream appears to be dead. And Bayern could be turning its focus toward Eintracht Frankfurt's Randall Kolomuani, who uh, did some really nice work for Eintracht Frankfurt in the Hinronda and was also very good for France in the World Cup. So it's a very interesting name with Randall Kolomuani because he is a, a younger striker. Uh, he is 24, 1.87 meters, which breaks down to about 6.1 feet or six. Yeah, somewhere just above six feet. And he, uh, in my mind, is is an exciting player 
the one thing that is uh, alarming that I did see is that Eintracht Frankfurt would be looking for about nine figures for him, which is a that is a uh, deal killer for me. But we'll we'll touch on that in a bit. Uh, Kolomwani has a contract that runs through 2027 right now. So Eintracht Frankfurt holds all of the cards when it comes to him. Uh, he is absolutely a good player. Uh, I don't know if he at 24 is the type of player that you would invest nine figures into to be your striker of the future. I don't know if he's quite at that level, but let's circle back to the the death of the Harry Kane rumors. Of course, at BFW, uh, we had covered the initial story that broke this week, stating that there were a lot of doubts now internally at Bayern Munich that a deal for Kane could get done just because Kane at this stage of his life is maybe not so receptive to leaving England. Uh, definitely still wanting to play in the Premier League, whether that's for Tottenham Hotspur or someone else remains to be seen. But uh, that internal doubt starting to seep out into the media for us to all read the reports on, I think it left a lot uh, of fans really thinking, all right, well, that was fun to think about. It was fun to dream about. But the Harry Kane situation was was always very doubtful. And I think a lot of fans felt that way. I know I did. I mean, sure, it was it's exciting to think that Bayern Munich could have Robert Lewandowski go through one season without him and then somehow miraculously bring in Harry Kane to come in and fill that void. It would be great. It would be a storybook type transfer, but it's just I, I never really bought into it happening. And, um, you know, I think that. <laughs> The way it's all shaken out and how long this has really went on and these rumors, it's been like months now. It went on a lot longer than I ever thought it would. So I think over the course of time, you know, some folks start to hear the rumors and they're like, wow, this is, you know, we've heard this now for three months. There's got to be some legitimacy to it. And I do think that Bayern Munich was genuinely interested in Harry Kane. And I think that Harry Kane was interested to hear what Bayern Munich had to say I just don't think it was a match at this stage of his career. And I don't think he really was all that serious about leaving England. So um, as far as that part of the story goes, I'm not shocked that Harry Kane uh, is not going to accept some offer from Bayern Munich. I always felt it was a bit of a pipe dream, but as for Colomani, I think that where I stand on him right now is that he is a very good player. I don't know that he's worth the money that Eintracht Frankfurt reportedly wants for him, which nine figures is ridiculous in my mind. Uh, I just don't know if he's that level of a player that you would invest into. And I think he will go to some club and make them happy. I think he's done a a really nice job for Frankfurt. And I think he, he showed when he played with France that he has the capability of playing at that top level with other players. But when I think of, top-notch strikers on earth, like I'm thinking about Lewandowski or Harry Kane or Erling Haaland. I'm not thinking about Randall Kolomwani. And, um, you know, it's not to say that he's just limited to playing as a center forward. He can certainly play as a wing as well. But Kolomwani, I think if, if he were to come to Bayern Munich, Bayern's intention would be to make him that striker. And I think that Byron going back to the summer thought they were going to have that with Sadio, Sadio Mane. It just didn't work out. He's just not that type of center forward. And I think that now he's starting to ease into a wing role. Of course, we're waiting for him to get healthy, but I think that he's easing into a wing role on the roster. 
which is already a pretty heavily populated position. So whatever Bayern Munich does for their next move, it's going to be a player who is going to be a true striker and someone who is going to fill that void. And whether that void means uh, a bridge type player, like we've talked about in the past, someone like Nicholas Fulkrug, who could give you one, two, three years until you do invest heavily into a, a top level striker, whether it's that or you go big and then you try and go after uh, some of the better younger strikers in the game who are entering their primes, who someone like Dusan Vlahovic, who I think a lot of people hold in high regard, uh, someone that has has proven he can score at a top level, but is he the type of player uh, that can be consistent enough for a club like Bayern Munich? Those are the types of players you're looking at in this field. Um I, of course, am, am very intrigued to see what Benjamin Sesko does uh, when he moves to RB Leipzig next season. I think he is a player with a lot of potential. But uh, Bayern's going to have to make some choices because if they don't start to target in on who they would like, who would be a fit for Julian Nagelsmann if he's going to continue to play a 4-2-3-1, or if he's got some other idea up his sleeve, you know, we've seen him play a, a, just a ton of different formations uh, over the course of his time coaching in the Bundesliga, um, you know, to me, he's going to have to play a role in helping the club figure out what type of striker he needs. Uh, To me, it looks like the fan base is pushing for that traditional target man. Whereas I think Nagelsmann is a little more flexible with things. And Brazo, I think has his own idea about what he wants. So I think that, that Nagelsmann and the coaching staff and Brazo are going to have to put their heads together and they're going to have to figure it out. Is someone like Kolo Moani the type of striker that they would want long-term? At this stage, I don't think you can rule it out at all. But me personally, I probably would start to look elsewhere. If it came down to Kolo Moani or Marcus Turam, I would I would prefer Turam. But I'm very skeptical on both players in terms of long-term uh, being the top-level option for a club like Bayern Munich. I want to see a little bit more from each of them. Uh, before I can make that determination, I, I just don't see it at this point, especially if you have to spend nine figures for Kolo Moani. Duram, of course, is expected to be much, much cheaper, which also makes him uh, more attractive in my eyes because I think you can afford to take a risk if you're paying $10 million for someone. But if you're going to pay $100 million, um, you know, you take a risk and you fail on that, it, it, it could be you know, a, a really club damaging type move given the amount of money you would have to invest in it. So that is uh, definitely a situation where we'll be following it and we'll be assessing it as we go along. But I would probably not delve into the Colo Moani sweepstakes at this stage. Uh, the fourth thing that we learned this week is kind of a weird story and it's it's Germany focused for the most part, but does involve a Bayern Munich player. And it was the story about Leon Goretzka and the allegations by, you know, allegedly some of his teammates that who think that he used the World Cup as a platform to grandstand for his own causes. Um, and of course, you know, this all goes back to the uh, protest that the German team made before the first game against Japan. Of course, they fell flat on their face and lost after making the protest. Uh, but some of the Germans felt like, Goretzka was really pushing for this as more of a PR type uh, opportunity than anything. And I will say 
you know, no one knows what Goretzka's intentions were. If, if, you know, is he genuinely a good person who is looking to promote causes he cares about? He seems to have a pretty good track record of that. Is he the type of player that's looking to come across as holier than Dow and, and pump all of his own causes ahead of what might be best for his team? I don't know. I'm not in that locker room to be able to feel that. Um, certainly if some of the players feel that way, whatever happened, however the decisions were made to, to do the protest, I think it, it, it did become a distraction to some level where some players uncomfortable with it. Did some just want to focus on the actual football element of the world cup? I'm sure. And I'm sure that some probably hold Goretzka accountable uh, for, for all the fallout that happened. But, you know, what we did see is that Manuel Neuer and Goretzka were aligned in thinking that the, that the team needed to do something. They needed to show some sort of protest uh, about the human rights uh, and civil rights type of situations that we saw in Qatar um, leading up to the World Cup. But whatever the case, uh, the fact that there were these discussions among team members and that some have even went as far as to talk to media members off the record if if these stories are true, it says that not everyone on that Germany team was aligned. And where that gets concerning to me and where I'm really taking this is it was the second World Cup in a row where we saw there be some kind of conflict over something that had nothing to do with football. Back in you know the 2018 World Cup that was – it's hard to say which one was worse, but, you know, we had the bling bling versus the Bavarians, the two, two warring factions, which is, it's so ridiculous to even say it. And I know uh, I felt that way when we initially talked about the German national team a, a few weeks ago, but that that's just ridiculous in and of itself. But then we got to this season where there were, not, not the season, but this World Cup where there were, you know, some differing ideas on what the team should do, if anything, to show protest to the fact that they weren't allowed to wear the one love armband, or at least Manuel Neuer wasn't allowed to wear it. Um, in my mind, of course, there are differing opinions on everything. There is no locker room that's 100% in sync in any sport. But uh, I would prefer that things like this got handled in-house, just like I'm sure many of you USMNT fans uh, would have preferred that the Greg Berhalter, Gio Reyna, Danielle Reyna, Claudio Reyna, that whole debacle got handled in-house as well. But we could spend three hours talking about everything that's wrong with that situation rather than just focusing on Goretzka here. But I hope that Goretzka at least is sincere in what he's trying to do. And the fact that there were some allegations that this was a kind of a PR event for him. It's, it's sad to think that I don't necessarily believe it. Um, Goretzka and, and every time you've, we've heard him talk and every article that we've seen about him and in every interview, he seems pretty genuine about what he believes and how he wants to live his life in terms of treating other people and how he wants other people to treat him. Uh, so I don't know that I believe it was a PR event for him, but I do feel like whatever happened, it did create enough of a distraction that it was uncomfortable for a lot of players. And it, and it took their focus away from actually preparing for the game. The fact that they spent so much time debating on if they should do something and what they should do and how they should do it and when um, it did take you know some time away from preparing. And I feel like, 
you know, while Goretzka is taking the heat for it now, you know, whether it was Hansi Flick or leadership from the DFB, someone should have stepped in and kind of recalibrated everything and got everyone on the same page. It shouldn't get to the point, no matter what the decision was, that there's this type of distraction going on. So hopefully the German players can get more in sync. Hopefully whatever bad blood they might feel toward Goretzka, can, they can put behind them and move on because uh, there are certainly going to be some important uh, matches coming up, some important training camps as Germany tries to get ready for that Euro 2024 competition. So I don't buy into the fact that Goretzka was doing all this to get publicity for himself. It just doesn't seem like him, um, especially on this platform and especially with the subject matter that they were protest protesting. I don't think that that's the type of thing that you would really want to uh, kind of grandstand about. So um, kind of dismiss that story, but it was interesting nonetheless to see that some players might not be happy with Goretzka after all of that. Finally, the fifth thing that we learned this week is that Julian Nagelsmann has some had some really, really interesting thoughts about uh, coaching and his philosophy and what it means and how coaches should approach things and when they should change. I was really fascinated to read uh an article this week from from Nagelsmann that that to me really defined a lot of what we talked about and what we thought about Nagelsmann all this time. Um, you know, Nagelsmann was pretty clear about a couple of things uh, in this piece, and it was it was to me it was fascinating because I think Nagelsmann is a a brilliant, innovative mind. I think he is someone who can really relate to the players of today and not alienate them and, and keep their belief in him, which is very hard to do. And he had an interview with UEFA.com, which was captured by the Twitter account, I on me, which is just a tremendous account. Um, you know, obviously they capture everything coming out of Germany as it happened. So uh, we, we definitely credit them to spreading a lot of the, news and stories about Bayern Munich. Um, but seeing the UEFA.com interview and some of the things that that really struck me is that Nagelsmann talked about how he formed his own coaching philosophy. And that was by using some of the things he had learned as a player and watching the coaches that he had. And then also making observations from the different coaching staffs that he was on. And then being able to take all of that information and process it and build out his own philosophy and to be able to do that over the course of time and then be able to when you get that opportunity be able to implement it and to be able to do it successfully um you know it was funny because Nagelsmann talked about you know having a, a, a basic formation for his philosophy and he had that since he was coaching U19s and, you know, the main, he, said, he said this, the main aspect is to control the game by winning the ball high up the pitch and changing the pace while in possession. I have certain principles. So in general, I don't make any compromises. They always apply, no matter what the situation is, who the opponent is, or who is playing. Now, I found that interesting because we have always known Nagelsmann to be very flexible in his tactics and his strategies. But it seems like he's got certain principles that he relies on and will weave them into whatever formation he's using to whatever game plan he has developed. Um, 
And he did tackle that in his following quote, as he said, of course, when you work with people, you have to be flexible in some areas. This is completely normal. As a coach, you have to be empathetic. These are things that should always apply, but there are also things in life where you can allow a bit of laissez-faire. The players have to get to know your philosophy at the beginning, but you also have to get to know the players yourself. I'm convinced that a club should only hire a coach if their philosophy is the same. And to me, that was extremely interesting because as we saw with Bayern Munich's hiring of Carlo Ancelotti and Nico Kovac, they kind of did stray away from some of those Bayern Munich principles that we had seen in the past, the 4-2-3-1 formation, how the team played, uh, the Gegen pressing, all of that. We had seen at different times Bayern stray away from those things under Carlo Ancelotti and Nico Kovac. I think Hansi Flick, when he came in, was able to reapply those things, build that mentality back up, and really play in that Bayern style. When Nagelsmann came in, I was very curious to see what he would do because he is a tinkerer. He loves to change things based on a whim. But it does appear that there is a method behind his madness. And I am, listen, I am one of these people who I sometimes think, and I wrote this as one of my bad takes last week or the week before, I kind of think sometimes he makes this all up on the fly. And I don't mean that in a derogatory manner as much as it sounds derogatory. I mean that he has these certain principles that he loves to incorporate, that he believes win football games. But I believe he is flexible in how he applies them, meaning he might one day decide a back three is great as long as he can incorporate what he wants, these base principles that he has with the personnel available in a specific formation. So I think he is tactically flexible but strategically has things that he needs to have no matter what formation he has or what game plan he develops, what people are available. He has principles that apply through all. And I think his core principles, and I never really thought about it this way, align with the core principles of Bayern Munich. And I think that because they mesh like that and that they meld, it does allow Nagelsmann a little more leeway than I think we had seen with other coaches. I'm not sure Carlo Ancelotti would have lasted a month if he rolled out a four triple two. Uh, Nico Kovac wasn't even allowed to play the style that he wanted to play. And to me, now it all sort of makes sense because I think some of those base principles that Bayern absolutely believes in were not applied or were not available or were just not uh, emphasized the same way by Ancelotti or Kovac. So while Flick was tailor-made to come in and coach at Bayern Munich, I think Nagelsmann is similar and is in that mold, but likes to do things a little bit differently while using the core principles. So to me, this was always something that I was fascinated by, and I had never been able to solve the problem or solve the issue in my mind as to, aside of being Bavarian and aside of being a very good coach, how did Bayern Munich overcome looking at the way some of Nagelsmann's RB Leipzig teams played or, or Hoffenheim teams played and thinking that there would be an alignment. Now it does make sense. Now I know that there's the underlying theme of these principles that are applied, no matter how Nagelsmann sets his team up. So I was actually very, very interested to read that. Now I was actually the one that wrote the report up. Uh, and I believe that was, yeah, it was January 2nd. So if you want to check that out, it's it's a good read and not because I wrote it. It's just a good read that 
it helps you key in on what were some of the things that that made Nagelsmann so attractive to Bayern Munich and why this is this relationship has really worked out successfully despite the fact that Nagelsmann won't always play a 4-2-3-1 or that he did play a back three last season or that he was asking Serge Gnabry to play wing back. So yeah, I had, I had a great time seeing how Nagelsmann approached it. I really honestly wish we'd have seen an interview like that much earlier because it led us into his mind and it also led us into how the club could look at him and decide, you know, after talking to him that this is the person that, that we want to come in after Hansi Flick. So I was really, it made me actually a little more confident in Nagelsmann. And even though, like I said, I believe that sometimes he just kind of crafts things on the fly. It's, it, it's not in the way that he has no plan. It's that he has principles and there's no other way to, to really say it that, that he can weave into just about anything his brain conjures up. So uh, I, I feel much more at ease about the future of Julian Nagelsmann and that there is a way for him to succeed long-term here. And I wasn't quite always positive about that. And as much as I've even admired him going back to his Hoffenheim days, I was not so sure that he wouldn't just tinker himself out of a job at Bayern Munich. But now I believe he not only has the makeup and mindset to be able to succeed at Bayern Munich, but that he is aligned with Bayern's core values and principles and what how they want the game to be played. So I think it's much more of a systematic fit than maybe I did in the past. So uh, as far as the entertainment goes, I was a big slacker this week. You know, I did step up and watch Andor and, and uh, I watched um, a couple of movies that I had reviewed last week, but um, I will be jumping into Cobra Kai soon. I know I'm like super late on that. Um, but you know, I've got a backlog of things that I have to get to. And that's at the top because I was, I was one of those early, uh, people that were in early on Cobra Kai. And I feel like I let, I let, uh, my brothers at the Cobra Kai tell because I, I did not get to that latest season and I am so far behind. And it's one of those things that just kept getting pushed back and pushed back and buried. But now I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm good to go with it. So, uh, that's about it. Uh, I will hit that up over the weekend and get started on it and hopefully be finished up by next week. Uh, but that's about it for this week. I appreciate you guys jumping in. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of news dropping between the time I click for this to stop recording and when it actually gets posted. And then even more over the weekend, as we all know, Bayern Munich is getting ready to head out to Doha for their training camp. Uh, so there will be a ton of news breaking from that. Hopefully knock on wood, no injuries. And Byron can get started and get ready for what will surely be an interesting Rook Runda. Uh, as always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our tweetmeister, Tommy Adams, at Tommy Adams 71. You can get BF, uh, I need no name, at BFWINNN. You get all of our great podcasters and writers on the site on a daily basis. Please check out the podcast. Please check out everything that we write. We are staying on top of everything. I know it's slow for some people to get back into the grind of not just work, but also following Bayern Munich day to day, but hang with us. Uh, We've been putting out some really good stuff and we are looking forward to spending the next six months with you discussing everything Bayern Munich and Germany related. Of course, hopefully the end at the end of this six months, We are all celebrating a treble for Bayern Munich. 
On that note, have a couple of beers this weekend on me, and we will see you next time.